How many of you had a paper out when you were young? Anybody in here have a paper out when you were young? Man, I had that darn paper out for like three years, like seventh grade, eighth grade, and ninth grade, and it was horrible. My mom, uh, her, her, her bedroom was kind of by the front door, and so I'd get up at 5 a.m., which is not a time that a seventh grade boy should be awake. I'd get up at 5 a.m., and my mom would say, she'd hear me sigh throughout the entire house, Ah, oh, ah, oh. every step as I walk to the front door to go get those stinking newspapers and deliver them. And Sunday mornings, if you had a paper out, you knew Sunday mornings were the worst because of all the ads. The newspaper was like three times as thick. And so you knew like it was just going to break your back having to carry all those stinking newspapers. And then you're trying to roll them and they're so thick you can't roll them. So you're just like, ah. And, 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 you know, as, as a paper boy, the most exciting thing, though, was when you got a new customer, because you got a new customer, and you knew, hey, that's another 30 cents for the month for me, right? 30 cents, that is a big money right there as a paper boy. Uh, man, that was, <laughs> that was fun thinking about that. One of the things, though, as a paper boy, one of the things I would always do is, I, is I'd grab the newspaper and I'd read the headlines, Right? The headlines, because the headlines can kind of tell you what's happening in whatever story they're going to tell. Like the headlines, they just, they tell a bit of the story. And so this morning, I wrote down a few headlines for you that these are real headlines from newspapers that I thought you would enjoy. One of them said, jail time can hinder your job hunt. And I'm like, that's funny. Really? Like, like somebody got paid to write that? Another one said, Barbershop singers bring joy to the school for the deaf. <laughs> like you put two and two together? I don't know. Uh, this was good. Uh, this may relate to some of you. Funeral home brings cheer to senior citizens. I don't know how that works out, but there's probably something related to that. Uh, this one, uh, this one I, I think works for my brother-in-law. It says, city is unsure why the sewer smells. Like, Really? Really? And uh, this one, uh, this one, uh, the, the term they use in the newspaper, I don't think is politically correct anymore, so I, I changed it to say, a small person sued the grocery store, cites belittling comments. <laughs> Gosh, uh, those are great. Those are, are good. I love them. Headlines. They kind of give you a preview of what a story is about. The idea of this, though, is stories in themselves are powerful, are they not? You hear a story and you can just be drawn in. In fact, Ernest Hemingway, who is probably one of the greatest writers in the last century, uh, he was talking to a friend, and his friend was complaining about all the new stories that are coming out. They're like, they have so many words, and people try and use fancy words to make their, their books sound better. And so this writer was complaining, and he, he challenged Ernest Hemingway, and he said, I dare you to write a story using only six words. And Ernest Hemingway says, sure, I'm in. And here's the story. He says, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. <laughs> yeah, if you've got a heartbeat in your chest right now, you know that those six words, they stop you in your track. You feel the weight of that story through simply six words. You were just arrested by the power of a story. And isn't that true? Like stories have so much power. 
Isn't that why so many of us, we have favorite stories from our childhood or from our adulthood? Like, what's your favorite story? Some of you, it's like Treasure Island, uh, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Narnia. We have all these stories that we love to read, and they take us back because stories are like seeds. They carry power, and they grow in our minds, and they flourish, and stories live with inside of us. Consider this, though. Consider, how did God communicate to us? When God chose to communicate to humanity, how did God choose to communicate to us? Was it through a list of commands? A to-do list that we're supposed to follow all the rules to make God happy? Did God give us an instruction manual about do this, and then do that, and then do this, and then do that? Or did God give us, in this book right here, an epic story, an epic story where God reveals himself again and again to us. In fact, Rick Warren said this. He said, the Bible is essentially a book of God-inspired stories. Stories are how God chose to communicate his word to human beings. The Bible is just a bunch of stories put together that reveal to us who God is. And as we as a church, as we consider the command that God gave the church to go into all the world to make disciples of all nations, to be God's witnesses in our own families, in our cities, into the ends of the earth, man, how do we accomplish that? Is it not possibly through the power of stories? We've been in this series in the book of Acts for the last couple of months And it's been a great story to be able to look at the early church and see how they became a movement that impacted everything, not just an institution where you come and you worship and you put some money in the offering and you go home and it's just something you do, but the church became a movement that that literally impacted everything around it. And we've been in this series, uh, and today we're in Acts chapter 9, which some people would say this is one of the most important stories in the book of Acts aside from Pentecost. This is the story of Saul's conversion. Now, I'm just going to throw this out. Uh, Our text today talks about Saul. Saul is going to have his name changed to Paul. And so I will probably interchange those names. And so if I do, don't get confused. Give me some grace here because it's the same guy, Saul, Paul. So whatever it is, I'm talking about the same guy here. This is a story of how Saul was a guy who hated Christians. He was working feverishly to stop the spread of Christianity, of Jesus, of the church, doing everything in his power to stop it until he encounters Jesus. And he is changed forever. As he encounters Jesus, he surrenders at the foot of Jesus, and Saul ends up becoming Paul, who becomes possibly the greatest missionary and the greatest church planner that has ever lived on the earth. The story of Saul's salvation is so powerful because it reveals to us the depth and the power of God's grace and God's mercy. So as we look at Saul's story today, uh, we're going to see six common elements that are in salvation stories. As we look at Saul's salvation story, these are six common elements that we'll find in salvation stories. Number one, the story starts with Saul blindly living for the wrong things. The story starts with Saul blindly living for the wrong things. Look at verse one. It says, Saul, or Saul, (laughs) Saul, Saul, Paul, it's all the same thing. Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, and he went to the high priest, and he asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if anybody was found belonging to the way, 
You can underline the word the way. Sometimes we're like, well, what is that? See, the, the church, they weren't called Christians yet. They were simply known as the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so the, the, the believers, the church was known as the way. And so Saul writes to the leaders and said, if I find anybody belonging to the way, that I might arrest them and bring them bound to Jerusalem. See, here's what we know about Saul. Saul was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader who prioritized a list of rules to follow. He prioritized, like, if I follow all these rules, then that will make me right with God. And Saul literally had built his life around being good enough, about looking at all the rules and saying, look, I've kept all the rules. Look how good I am. Of course God's got to love me. Of course my life is right. This became what he was living his life for. It was the purpose for his life. Well, when Jesus came to the earth, Jesus came and said, that's not enough. You can't keep all the rules. You can't be good enough. You need a savior. And Jesus says, I came to die for you, and you need to surrender to me in order to be made right with God. And Jesus scandalized Paul. He scandalized those Pharisees. What are you saying I can't be good enough? What are you saying that it's not just keeping all the rules? I've given my life to that. And as a result, Saul became hardened. He became brutal. He became a bloody man, blindly going about thinking what matters most in his life is that I'll keep all the rules. And because Jesus isn't about the rules, he made it his purpose to hunt Christians. His goal was nothing short than to stop and bring total uh, uh, extermination to the way, to the church, to the Christians, to Jesus. Let me ask us, how many of us in this room can look back in our life and think before coming to know Jesus, I mean, how many of us were blindly living for the wrong things? We thought there was all sorts of things that would satisfy our hearts, that would make our life complete. And so we've gone and, and, and sought out money or fame or power or success or sex or whatever it happens to be. And we blindly live for all of those things. And we finally we found these things are leaving us empty. And for many of us, the first time we stepped into church, for many of us, the reason we're here today is because we've gone and blindly chased those things and found they don't satisfy the longings of our heart. They don't answer the questions about life. And that's why we came to church. We're looking for peace and hope and joy and purpose but it starts because we're blindly living for the wrong things. Number two, second, uh, second element is a God, divi God divinely initiates his salvation in our lives. God initiates his work in our lives. It says in verse three, that our Saul went on his way and he approached Damascus. Suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, Saul heard a loud voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Do you like the sound effects? That makes an added element to it. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Notice, though, it wasn't Saul who sought this miraculous uh, interruption from God. Saul didn't say, God, would you... Sh no, this is God just showing up and choosing Saul and seeking him out. 
See, this is really the great reversal. Saul was a guy who was, was hunting for Christians. He was the hunter. And now it's flipped around where now he's the hunted. And God is showing him. God is showing himself to Saul. He's saying, Saul, I want you to know who I am. Not because of your good works. Not because you're deserving. Not because of anything you've done. But simply because God's grace and mercy has been chosen to set himself on you. Do you realize salvation is something that is always initiated by God? Jesus said in John 6, he said, No one comes to the Father, or no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. See, salvation is not us finding God. Salvation is not, well, one day I found God. No, God seeks us. Salvation is us surrendering to him. He always makes the first move. Number one, blindly living for the wrong things. Number two, God initiates his work in our lives. Number three, we have a personal encounter with Jesus. Remember that the, the, the voice came to, to Paul, and this is what it said. He said, Paul, Saul, same guy. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who's speaking here? This is Jesus. This is Jesus speaking here. Now, of course, we think, well, I thought Saul was persecuting the church. Wasn't Saul going after the church and all the Christians? But here's the thing. The church is not an it. The church is not a building. Jesus was so united himself to the church that him and the church were one. In fact, we say that the church is the body of Christ and Jesus is simply the head of the church. So we, as a church, we are his body. And so when we hurt Jesus, when we hurt the church, when we persecute the church, we are in fact hurting and persecuting Jesus. And so the voice comes and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul answers in verse 5 and says, who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. That voice says, I am Jesus. I'm the one that you thought was dead. And I'm very much alive and well today. You see me in this light. You hear my voice. I'm the one speaking to you. And at this moment, Saul comes and has this personal encounter with Jesus and realizes, yeah, that Jesus, he did die and he did rise from the grave. He is alive today. And for Saul, listen, the fact that Jesus died and rose again, that changes everything. That changes everything. That's what it's about. You see, sometimes uh, what I love about this is, is in terms of our faith, in terms of how we tell other people about Christianity, like we can get into this habit where it's, uh, well, I need to uh, convince others that the Bible is true, right? I need to convince them, hey, you gotta, you gotta follow this book. You gotta believe this book. Or we, we argue and, and we try and uh, persuade people that there's more relevance in Christianity than other religions. We try and persuade them with all these different things. And at times we have to do those things. But do you know as Christians, our ultimate goal, our ultimate goal, hear this, is to introduce people to Jesus so that they could come and know him. See, Jesus is, is God in the flesh who chose to come down to the earth to live the life that we couldn't. And he went to the cross and he suffered in our place. He died, 
was buried and rose again on the third day and rose up to heaven and said, Church, here's your command to tell all the people what I've done. And at this moment, Paul realizes this is all true. Jesus did die. He did rise from the grave. And he is alive today at the right hand of God. And that changes everything. That changes. Do you realize that changes everything? That as we're trying to share our faith with people, it's like we don't have to argue and get them to believe everything in this book. We have to tell them who Jesus is. Because if they can grasp Jesus and have this encounter with him, the one who died and rose from the grave, and that's where the change comes from. It did for Saul. It says in verse 7, the story continues, that the men who were traveling with Saul, they stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Isn't this true? That when God begins to work in our lives, sometimes the people around us, they don't understand. Why are you? Why are you following that God? Why are you going to that church? Why do you, why do you give your money to those people? Why do, you, why do you read that book? Well, 1 Corinthians 2 says, The natural man the things of, cannot accept the things of God, for they are folly to him. Those that don't understand, don't have a relationship with Jesus, they can't understand why we'd live our life for him. And I love this in verse 8. It says, Saul, he rose from the ground, and though his eyes were not opened, although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. So you got this picture? Like Saul is on his way to Damascus to wreak havoc. Powerful. He's the hunter. And now he enters Damascus being led by the hand, blind, weak, and impotent. I love that picture. I love that picture. Because it leads to the fourth element of a salvation story, and that's his surrender. It says in verse 9 that for three days, Saul was out without sight, he neither ate nor drank. Again, Saul has this encounter with Jesus on the road. And Jesus showed him how blind he was living. And now as he waits for Jesus' word to come to him, it says he was fasting for three days. In fact, a couple of verses later, it's going to say not only was he fasting, he was praying. He's fasting, he's praying. And again, I love this because He's so confident on his way to Damascus. Oh, I'm going to stomp out the church. I'm going to wreak havoc. I'm going to persecute them. I'm going I'm to do all this. And now, man, he recognizes how truly weak he is. And he's on his knees seeking God, saying, God, I need you. God, I'm yours. God, I don't understand this. I had this plan, this purpose. It's thrown upside down because I met you. And now, Jesus, I can do nothing but pray and trust you. Is his point of surrender. And while he's there waiting, verse 10, it says there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. This is not the same guy that we studied a couple weeks ago that lied and, and died. Not that guy. Different guy. And the Lord said to him in a vision, I want you to rise and go to the street called straight at the house of Judas and look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. Verse 12, I want you to lay hands on him that he might regain his sight. Now Ananias, it says, he, he responded and said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to the saints in Jerusalem. 
Verse 14, he has authority from the chief priests to bind all of us who call on your name. Can you blame Ananias? He's like, God, you want me to go to this guy who's killing Christians? I mean, there's a chance Ananias, maybe he's got a cousin in Jerusalem who has felt the wrath of Saul's uh, anger and hatred of the Christians. He probably has somebody who's experienced that. He's like, God, like this guy hates us. And you want me to go? You sure that's a good idea? But verse 15, the Lord said, go. For Saul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. See, the fifth element of a salvation story is there's usually a connection to the body of Christ. There's usually a connection to other believers. It says in verse 17 that Ananias departed. He entered the house and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Could you imagine like in Saul's shoes, could there be any more comforting words than Ananias coming in and saying, Brother Saul. I mean, here's Saul, the guy that's killing Christians. The guy that is murdering them, that is on his way to Damascus to take them to jail, take them away from their families, to to, to persecute them. And then he meets this Jesus, and he's like, I think I might become one of them. He's kind of like, are they going to accept me? Are they going to pay me back for all I've done? Like, what's going to happen? And here's Ananias coming in, and what does he say? Brother Saul, you're my brother. We belong together. says, verse 17, he said, Jesus sent me so that you may regain your, sight, regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight, and then he rose and was baptized. See, here's the thing. Salvation is an individual thing, right? Nobody can get saved for you. Your relationship with Jesus is between you and him. But hear this, there are no Lone Ranger Christians. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. We are saved into the body of Christ, and we become a part of a family. And here at Restoration Church, the way that we describe this is we say that we're a people who belong together. That even though we have different backgrounds, even though we have different experiences, that we are a people that we belong to one another, which means that we help one another. We disciple one another. We encourage one another. We point each other to to, to truth. We grow with one another. We walk through life together. None of us can become what God wants us to become by ourselves. This is why we need the body of Christ. And if Saul comes with this new faith, he needs Ananias to come. Say, brother, I'm with you. Let me lay hands on you. Let me baptize you. See, Saul is going to be an important part of the ongoing work of the gospel that goes to the ends of the earth. But Saul's ministry would not have been possible without Ananias. And what's true in Christianity is is behind many well-known servants of God, people that we'd look out to and say, man, those guys are, 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 are publicly known, great Christians. Behind many of those people are lesser known believers who have had an influence on them. Have you ever experienced that in your own life? Have you had that experience? There's been a Christian around you who just poured into you, who helped shape who you are today, who taught you the foundations of of what it looks like to live for Jesus. Have you had those people that have poured into your life? 
That's what we're talking about here. This is what Ananias did for Saul. It's going to happen again next week with a guy named Barnabas. It'll happen again and again and again. And we'll close with number six. Sixth element is at some point, you live your life for God's purposes. So you said in verse 15, uh, Jesus said to, to Ananias, he said, Saul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. And we're going to see this over the next couple of weeks. We're going to see this over the, the rest of the book of Acts. That Saul, he, he's not just a monk. He's not a guy who just says, oh, I'm going to go and, and, and become a Christian and I'm going to be with all my Christian people and, and I'm going to live a, a good, clean, moral life. No, Saul was saved for a purpose that he could take the gospel message and say, I'm going to take it wherever God sends me. The Gentiles, to kings, to the children of Israel, wherever God goes, I'm going to be a representative of him. I'm going to do what Jesus told us to do, which is make disciples, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. Again, these six elements of, of a salvation story starts with us blindly living for the wrong things. Then God draws us to himself. We experience Jesus. We meet him. There's that surrender. Then there's a connection to the body of Christ. And then we live for God's purposes. Again, one of those things why I bring this up is I talk about the power of story. How stories are so powerful. Saul's story is pretty remarkable. In fact, as we read through the New Testament, Saul's story is repeated six different times. It's in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 26. I believe it's in Colossians 1. I believe it's in 1 Timothy 3. I believe it's in Philippians chapter 3. You see Paul talk back, go back to a story again and again and again. Because there is a power in story. And see, the message, of the, the, the big idea for this message, the summary for this message is Saul's story of salvation reveals to us the power and the depths of God's grace. We hear his story and we hear the power and the depths of God's grace. And so simply with that, there's four reflections I want to give us and then we'll wrap up. Number one, because of this story that we just heard, if God can save Saul, that means that no one, no one is beyond God's reach. Nobody is beyond God's reach. Sometimes we might think of somebody, we're like, man, they've gone too far. They are too far gone. They're too bad. Maybe we have people in our lives that are like, man, I've been praying for this person. I've been praying that they would come to know Jesus. I've been praying that they'd come to church. I invite this person again and again and again. Hey, I want you to come to church with me. And they keep telling me no and no and no. And not only do they tell me no, it seems like they go further and further and further away from the things of God, down dark and desperate paths. It's terrible. And we picture and we're like, I can't even imagine anything that would draw them to Jesus if they haven't come to him yet. Yet when we look at the story of Saul, a guy who was a murderer of Christians, that God said, I'm going to put my faith on him. I'm going to put my hands on him and draw him to me. It's a reminder to us never to write anybody off from the love of God. Because God's love and power it's greater than whatever we can imagine. So you got those people in your life that you're praying for? You got those people and you're like, man, they're too far gone. Don't give up on them. 
Don't give up. If God can save Saul, certainly God can save whoever it is that we're praying for. Second reflection, never underestimate the impact that we can have on others in the church. Again, I I love this picture of discipleship. I mean, Saul's faith is is known. Saul's going to be known as as an apostle, as a missionary, as a church planner. Paul is a guy who wrote Bible, right? Anyone in here write Bible? No, I, I never written Bible. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. You realize none of that is possible without the impact of a faithful, little known guy by the name of Ananias. I mean, we don't get to know the Apostle Paul. We don't get to know what he does in the book of Acts. We don't get his missionary journeys. We don't get uh, all the books of the New Testament he wrote unless Ananias is faithful and saying, sure, I'll go and I'll, I'll lay hands on Saul and I'll call him Brother Saul and I'll, and I'll baptize him. In fact, we talked about this last week. We, we, we said, what if each of us, as we think about coming to church in the morning, what if our thought to church wasn't, what am I going to get today? What if our thought for church was, man, I, can't, I hope the pastor has a really good message so I can write a lot of notes in my Bible. And, and I hope the worship is really good because I love worship. And I hope the coffee, the coffee better be good. And, and the tea, why isn't it sweet? We like sweet tea here. I don't know. Maybe you don't. I like sweet tea. Uh, like, what, like, what if for you, what if church wasn't about what can I get? But what if it was, God, who do you want me to speak to today? God, give me a reason to go to church to serve someone else that I could encourage someone else, that I could pray for someone else, that I could give a word of encouragement that would uplift them. Could you imagine what God could do in our church if all of us came to church and said, God, who are you going to ask me to speak to today? I think about a couple weeks ago, I think about we had this, this uh, worship night that was led by our, our youth group worship team. And those kids are amazing. They're amazing. I love them. I'm so proud of, uh, of them and them using their gifts that God's given them to, to, to lead in worship. And I'll be honest, it wasn't super well attended. But I tell you, those of you that were there, do you know that you just spoke life to those young people? We had Hudson up here. Hudson did a rap. He rapped in the middle of a song. I don't know. Maybe you're like, I'm not into rap. But I'll tell you what. I love the fact that some of those folks in this room, they were a little bit older, Rap probably isn't their thing, but do you know how much they encouraged Hudson in his willingness to serve the Lord in that way? Listen, this is how, this is how we, we speak life into people. We encourage them. We say, I'm going to be there. I'm going to have an impact on your life and on your faith. Man, never underestimate the impact that we can have on one another in the church when we're willing to serve one another, engage with one another, walk through life together. Third reflection is, have you experienced the story of salvation in your own life? Have you experienced it yourself? I mean, consider just your own life. Have you, have you recognized that you have blindly lived for the wrong things? How many of us have spent years of our lives pursuing the wrong things? Oh, if I just get to this level, then, then everything will be right. Oh, if I can just graduate school, then things will be good. Oh, if I, can just, if I can just get a job, then things will be good. If I can just get married, then. If I can just have kids, if I can just get the kids out of that. Like, like it's always just ahead of us. Can we acknowledge that we blindly live for the wrong things that will never satisfy us? Have you 
sense God drawing you? Have you recognized how God puts people in your life? When God puts you in circumstances to show you that he's there. When God does things in your life simply to get your attention. Have you recognized God drawing himself to you? Showing up in your life again and again and again saying, hey, I'm here and I want your attention. Have you had an encounter with Jesus? See, here's the thing. Christianity it's not a religion. Christianity is not a, a list of things that we're supposed to do uh, to get God off our back or to make God try and be pleased with us. No, Christianity is not a religion. religion. It is a relationship with Jesus. And rather than giving us shame and guilt and dread, no, when we have a relationship with Jesus, when we encounter him, we experience love and grace and peace and mercy and forgiveness. That is what a relationship with Jesus gives to us. And when we meet Jesus, it's when we realize that he, he died in our place and he rose from the grave. And listen, that is where we experience transformation. When we know Jesus personally, not just a list of rules we got to follow, but we have that encounter with Jesus. So have you met Jesus? Have you surrendered to him? Have you said, Jesus, I'm going to start living for you? I recognize all you've done for me. Man, I'll follow you. I'll trust you. Man, if you've never come to that point of surrender, I'm praying that today would be the day that you'd finally be like, all right, God, I see it. I see how you've been pursuing me. I've met this Jesus. I've heard about him. And today, I'm ready to surrender. I'm praying that today is the day for you. Last thing. Would you be bold in sharing your story, your own story? Again, the story of Saul's salvation becomes a bridge, and many people will come to know the love and grace of Jesus because of that story. Man, what could God do if you and I were willing to share our story? Again, when we consider God's command of the church, go and make disciples of all nations, be my witnesses in your family, in your workplace, in your school, in your city. Be my witnesses and tell other people of what I've done. How many times does the church complicate how we do that? Oh, we got to get them to, to, to believe the biblical things. We got them to, we have to have them obey everything the Bible says to do. We have to make sure they're convinced of the truth of the, uh, of the Bible and, and how Christianity is so much better than all those other religions. Now, what if instead of making our faith about that, what if we just simply told our story? Right? Power of story. It doesn't matter whether you were, your story is you found Jesus as a young age or whether you found Jesus while serving a prison sentence for God knows what. Your story, your story of faith is a story of God's power and God's grace and God's mercy and God's love. And that story is more powerful than you can imagine. You know, I think about here at Restoration, one of my favorite Sundays is Sundays that we do baptisms. You know why? Because people come to get baptized and they tell their story. And I can't tell again and again how many times I can say this, like, like, like people get more impact from people sharing their story than they get from my preaching. Maybe that tells you maybe my preaching isn't that great. I don't know what it means about me. 
But when people share their story, there's power that goes with it. And so maybe for you, maybe your story is, you've got the story of uh, of some great salvation story. This is what God saved me from. Maybe for you, you're like, man, this this is a struggle. God carried me through this and God gave me deliverance through this struggle. Maybe for you, you're in the middle of the struggle. You're still in the middle of it right now. But you're like, let me tell you how God has showed himself again and again and again in my struggle. Listen, there's a power in stories. So I want to encourage you. Would you take some time this week and build out your story? Think about your story and write it out in a way that you can tell other people about it. In fact, we've got some prompts for you to to use this week as you think about that. Some prompts to help you think through your story and you can answer them and kind of help fill that out. One of the things that uh, Corey, who's a head of our elder team here at Restoration Church, one of the things he's trying to get us to do every month is have people come up and share stories, share testimonies of what God is doing. And so what I'd love you to do is, is you take some time this week. There's a QR code up there. I'll take you to a link on our website. We'd love to hear your stories. We'd love for you to take some time this week. Scan that. Save it in your phone. Go back to it this week. Would you just build out your story? It doesn't have to be long. But we would love to have you build out your story and share it with us. And we'd love to be able to share those stories because, again, it's so impactful for us to hear of what God is doing in people's lives. It's the power of story. It's where I'm so thankful for the story of Saul because I can't help but be encouraged. If God could do that for Saul... If God could take Saul and turn him into Paul, a murderer, and make him a missionary, then what could God do for me? What could God do for you? Let's pray.